you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 8. We're starting in verse 9 this morning. Acts 8, starting in verse 9. Um, I want to share just a little story with you. Uh, sometimes we think we're communicating clearly to people, and we find out later that we weren't even though it made total sense in our minds, right? So there was a time when Miley and I, before we were dating, we'd been hanging out. We'd become pretty good friends. And so I went to visit her. She was in law school at the time. I went to visit her. And I just told her, I really like us, you know, doing this. I, I like what's going on. And so I asked her to date me because that's what I called it. When you're going out with somebody, like boyfriend and girlfriend, I, I called it dating, because I thought everybody did. Well, she called that being a boyfriend and a girlfriend, and so she had no idea what I was asking her to do. So she actually had a friend in law school who asked, was asking her about us, and, and Miley was saying, I don't know what we are <laughs> you know um i'm not sure how i'm supposed to introduce them to people i don't know what i'm supposed to tell people and so it wasn't until i had we were with somebody and i'd introduced her as my girlfriend that she realized okay now i know now i know where we stand <laughs> so but it made total sense to me when i asked her and so i guess there was a period of time for a week or maybe two i'm not sure how long that was it's been a while ago but um, where I was, I had a girlfriend and she did not have me as a boyfriend. So, <laughs> um, so <laughs> sometimes we, w we think we're communicating clearly and there are times when the other person just doesn't understand and we got to be careful when we do that with the gospel. We want to make sure that we are communicating clearly uh, for somebody who is considering following Christ, we want to make sure that we're communicating clearly what they are committing to. And in our text today, we see that there were those who did understand, and we see that there's one in particular who did not understand um, exactly what the gospel entailed. And so um, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at how the Spirit worked in that situation in many people's lives, and then what we can do as a church to make sure that we are uh, responding properly to the work of the Spirit. So let's look at Acts chapter 8. If you have uh, that in place and you are able to stand, would you please stand to honor God as we read his word? So Philip has gone to Samaria and proclaimed the gospel. We talked about that last week. So we're picking up from that. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, 
they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hand, the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, and this, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Let's pray. God, as we open this text, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would fill our hearts and our minds to be able to understand it, and that we would be able to see um, how we need to respond to the work of the Spirit, whether that's in our life, our church body, or what we see the Spirit doing around us in the community. Just help us to know how to respond so that we're in tune with you and we're giving you the glory you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So, first thing we're going to look at today in verses 9 to 13 is that the Spirit is working to regenerate. The Spirit is working to bring regeneration to the people in Samaria. Um, coming out of our text from last week, we, we learned that Philip had brought the gospel to Samaria. And as he proclaimed it, people were beginning to listen to him and pay attention to what he was doing. And it says at the very end of that that there was great joy in the city. And then we pick up in our, our text today... And we find out that um, Samaria, in verse, we, we, know that the, we know that the Spirit is working and that's, that the Spirit is bringing regeneration because as he proclaims the gospel and as God then, through the Spirit, works uh, miraculous signs and wonders to validate that message, we see in verse 12, it says that the people of Samaria believed Philip and were baptized. And so there is, there is the work of the Spirit on their hearts changing them, and they believe and they follow in obedience with baptism um, as Philip proclaims that message. There is a man here, though, a specific man that we're introduced to here named Simon. And verses 9 to 11 tell us that until this day, until the day that Philip brought the gospel and the people listened to him and believed and gave their life to Christ, until that day, Simon was the man in Samaria. Simon was the guy that everybody listened to. Simon was the guy that everybody, um, everybody stood in amazement of him because he practiced magic and he did all kinds of really cool things. People... Um, claimed that he had the power of God. And so 
Until the day that they believed Philip and were baptized and gave their life to Christ, Simon had been the head honcho in Samaria. He had a significant following of people who believed that he had divine powers. Um, the, the text isn't clear enough. I don't know if they believed he was God or he was just empowered by God or he um, was a prophet and therefore God was using him to do these things, but they believed that he had some kind of divine power, divine connection, and he was the person who everybody went to for signs, wonders, those kinds of things. But when Philip arrived and he began to preach Christ, Christ's death and his resurrection, and he began to uh, explain that that was what was necessary for the salvation of all people. And the Holy Spirit accompanied that with these great signs and wonders. Simon was hooked on what Philip was doing. And after what appeared to be uh, uh, what appeared to be a genuine conversion to follow Christ, then Simon remained with Philip, um, kind of followed him around everywhere he went, watched what he was doing, um, continued to see him preach and perform miracles to, for those who are in need. And so we have this man who once was the person, he was the amazing one who was amazing all the people, and now he's the one who's standing in amazement of God. Um, as God displays his power through Philip. And so the Spirit has done work of regeneration in, among the people of Samaria. Um, and at least it looks like at this point in the text, he's done the same thing for this man named Simon. As we move into verses 14 to 17, we see that the Spirit begins to work to indwell the people. He begins to indwell the people. So he's, he's regenerated them. There's been conversion. And now um, we, we get into the Spirit's work as he indwells the people. But there's a problem at the beginning here because it tells us that the apostles came down. Um, Peter and John were sent down to see what was going on. They heard news that Samaria had received the gospel. They send Peter and John down just to kind of see what's going on. Um, and... They find out when they get there that, this, that the Holy Spirit had not come upon them yet. They'd been baptized in the name of Jesus. They'd repented, but they had not received the Spirit yet. And so it says that, it, that they laid in um, verses, verse 15, starting, they came down, they prayed for them, they might receive the Spirit, because he hadn't fallen on them. They'd only been baptized in the name of Jesus, so they laid their hands, verse 17, laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a little bit of a problem with this because this, this text has caused some debate among scholars and pastors and theologians over the years because the situation doesn't seem to fall into the pattern that we've seen in Acts to this point. Up until this point, when those people who need the gospel hear it, receive it, they're they're, they repent, they're baptized in the name of Jesus, and they receive the Holy Spirit. That comes from Acts chapter 2, verse 38, because Peter says to the people, when they say, what shall we do to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So until this point, what we've seen is at that point, when they 
give their life to Christ and they're baptized, that the Holy Spirit comes upon them and dwells them. But that has not happened here. And so people are, for a long, long time, have been trying to figure out why. Why, why is this different? Um, they, they had done what they were commanded to do, so why had they not yet received the Holy Spirit? Why did it actually take the laying on the hands of the apostles to receive the Holy Spirit? Um, and there are a number of theories. Um, I'm not going to run through all of them, but, you know, is it because Philip is not one of the 12? Does it require one of the original 12 to come, come down? Um, there are some churches that use this to state that baptism and confirmation are different things that take place at different times, whereas other churches don't think that. Um, is this a situation that some churches say is a second anointing of the Holy Spirit or a, or a second work of grace? So um, some churches think that when you, when you give your life to Christ, the Spirit indwells you, but then there is a time when you are uh, baptized with the Holy Spirit where then he demonstrates that he has come upon you through signs, speaking of tongues or some things like that. So there are a lot of people who have debated over this, like what does this mean? Why, why is this different than what's taken place so far? And I think the point of this, first of all, you can't put God in a box. There's no prescription at the beginning of Acts that says every time someone gives their life to Christ, this is the order it's going to happen. Um, God does everything for a reason, and I think the point of what's going on here is reconciliation. We shared last week about how there was so much animosity and hatred between the Jews in Jerusalem and the Samaritans. Um, which is why it was a bold thing for Philip to, when he ended up in Samaria, it was a bold thing for him to share the gospel with the Samaritans because there was so much hatred between those Jews um, from Jerusalem and the Samaritans. You know the story of the Good Samaritan and, and how the two Jewish people um, walked by a Jewish man who was injured on the road. They wouldn't help him, and a Samaritan came by, and he helped him, and that was, that was shocking to the people because Samaritans and Jews wouldn't have done that. So there's been so much hatred between these two groups of people. I believe that the laying on of hands that, that God called Peter and John to do to bring about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was a unique situation that God was using to bring reconciliation between two groups of people. Philip had preached to the people of Samaria and they received the gospel of Jesus, but what do you do about this animosity then? You've got, you've got the Jews in Jerusalem and the Samaritans who have now both become followers of Jesus, but they hate each other. So what do you do with that? You can't continue to exist divided. That's not God's will, and, and his word is very clear that that is not pleasing to him in any way. It doesn't bring him glory. So what do you do with that? Well, when Peter and John lay their hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit, this is, a, this is requiring a physically and a spiritually... Um, a physical and a spiritual action. 
They, they don't just pray for them at a distance and say, yay, more people have come to Christ. They go there, they f- they're face-to-face with them, they're seeing the work the Spirit's doing in them, they're seeing the work that the Spirit is doing through Philip. They see that they have genuinely turned to Christ, and so they, this act is a physical act as, long, as well as a spiritual act to welcome them into the family of God. When you are face-to-face with somebody, it's harder to be angry at them. It's, har- it's harder to have animosity with them. When you see that God loves them as much as he loves you and the people that, that uh, were the church, you see that he's doing the same thing and he's welcoming them. It's harder for you to then stand at a distance and, and continue to be divided from them. And so they physically and spiritually welcome them into the family of God. And so reconciliation takes place that day, and we're going to talk at the end, when we get to the end, the end of the text indicates um, more about that. So, So the Spirit has been working to indwell in those verses. As we move into 18 to 23, we see that the Spirit is working to rebuke. The Spirit is working to rebuke. Simon, this guy who was, you know, a magician, had amazed the people, had them as followers, has now given his life to Christ, ac- according to the, um, the text earlier. He's following Philip around. He's seeing all the things that Philip's doing, and he is, he is amazed at what Philip's doing. But it says that when he saw Peter and John lay their hands on the people and the Holy Spirit, and he, and he saw through the laying on of their hands that the Holy Spirit was given. We see a little bit more about what's going on in Simon's heart. Now let me just say this. We don't know, we don't know how, we don't know what was done that, that the people would have known that the Spirit had come. Peter and John lay their hands on them. We assume there's some kind of outward sign like he had done in the past in Acts, uh, so maybe spe- maybe speaking in tongues or maybe something else. But we assume that that uh, when Peter and John lay their hands on him, uh, uh, lay their hands on the people, and the Spirit comes, that it's something v- noticeable, because si- it says that when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, and he said to them, "Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit." And Peter rebukes him. The Holy Spirit, through Peter, rebukes him. And he says, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Now, just as you cannot buy or earn your salvation, we cannot buy or earn the power of the Holy Spirit. To think so is to completely misunderstand the gospel. It's to completely misunderstand the purpose of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. To purchase or earn salvation means that you no longer need, that God is no longer the one that provides it. You don't need it from God. You are actually in control of when you get it. It's the same thing with the empowering of the Holy Spirit. If we can purchase it or earn it, 
then it is no longer God's gift to us to accomplish his will. It's no longer um, something that is given to us to empower us to be able to do things that we wouldn't be able to do on our own. If we purchase or earn it, then we are actually the ones in control of it, and it's no longer God's to give. So Simon, what we see is that he, what appeared to be a genuine conversion, and, and maybe it was and it just didn't last long, or maybe it wasn't, maybe there was a misunderstanding, maybe he didn't understand fully what the gospel was saying, but he wanted power and authority. He was used to power and authority, and when he sees this, he wants it. But what God wants from us is God wants us to trust in him. God is in the business of teaching people, teaching us to depend completely upon him for everything. He doesn't want us to depend on him some of the time. He doesn't want to be the last resort that we turn to when, it's, when we can't handle something in life, which is what we tend to do, right? We tend to... Because the American mindset is, I face a problem, I'm going to tackle this problem, I'm going to figure out how to fix it. And then when we get to the point where we can't fix it, then we realize, oh, maybe I should pray about this because I can't do this. That's not what God wants. God wants us to turn to him first. He wants every thought to be for him, about him, every action, every word to be, to be glorifying him and to be depending upon him. Every breath that he gives us, he wants us to breathe out proclamation of his greatness because we've learned to depend on him and we've learned that he is the one who takes care of us. And God gives us the Holy Spirit to teach us those things. That's the, one of the reasons we get the Spirit is that we wouldn't know how to follow God. We wouldn't know how to uh, accomplish his will or to follow him in his call to ministry if the Spirit wasn't in our hearts teaching us and directing us and molding and shaping us more into the image of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit does something in our lives and we know it's something we couldn't have done before, have you ever had a situation like that where you've done something and you look back and you're like, there's no way I had the ability to do that. That had to be the Holy Spirit filling me. Anybody ever had that? You can raise your hands. So we have those situations where we accomplish something or we do something and we know that we couldn't have done it on our own. And it could be something powerful like shocking or it could just be that God paved the way for us to be able to do something. When I worked at the hospital as a chaplain, um, I had the privilege of being there. Um, it was a Sunday afternoon. One of the patients in the behavioral health department called for a chaplain, and so I didn't know what he needed. I went up to talk to him, and uh, after I started talking to him, I realized that he'd been wrestling for some time with uh, what to do with Christ. And so we talked, and I realized that um, he, had an un he had the right understanding of the gospel, and he had a heart that just wanted to give his life to Christ, but he, didn't even, he just didn't even know what to do. Like, how do I do that? Which is more common than what we probably realize. People 
don't even know what they should do. And so I talked with him. I shared some scripture with him. We prayed together, and I asked him, I said, do you want to give your life to Christ today after we, after we talked about all that stuff and he understood it? And he said, yes. And so uh, he received Christ. And, and that was a, an amazing thing to be a part of. But the thing is, is I, just hap- I didn't do much. I just happened to be there on the day that God brought to fruition something he had been working on this person's heart for weeks or months or years. God had been preparing him. He'd probably been using other people to prepare him. And at the time when the harvest was ready to come in, um, I got the privilege of being the one who was there, who got to witness it. That was totally the Holy Spirit working that out. I couldn't have planned that. I couldn't have made it happen that way, but I got to be a part of it. And those are exciting moments in our life when when the Holy Spirit begins to use you to do things in the lives of other people and bring them to know Christ or whatever it might be. Display his power through you somehow or display his wisdom by granting you wisdom, whatever it is. When the Spirit does that, those are really, really exciting times in life. And so God wants us to, he gives us the Spirit to accomplish those things, but also to remind us that we need him and to teach us to uh, trust in him, to depend upon him completely. But Simon misunderstood that. He misunderstood the whole point of the gospel. The gospel is, the gospel message is you and I are helpless, right? We're all sinners and we have no way to be able to fix that problem. And so it's a complete work of God to come into our lives and save us. We couldn't do it without Christ's sacrifice and we couldn't do it without God the Father initiating that uh, a relationship with us through his son's sacrifice and we couldn't do it without the Holy Spirit indwelling us to guide and direct us in the truth but Simon misunderstands that there um, and there have been some people as you read this text there have been some people who have accused Peter of um, bu- rebuking too harshly um, I think the heart of the issue is this I, I, I think Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit when he rebuked him I think the, the heart of the issue is this, that Simon was more interested in the power that was displayed through Philip than he was in God's reign in his life and Jesus' lordship. I'll say that again. Simon was more interested in the power that was displayed through Philip than he was in God's reign in his life and Jesus' lordship. When someone who has a large following of people and he has a large following of people because he's done mighty works in their presence and, and they, they follow him, they, they want to learn from him, be his disciples, whatever it might be. When they love him, when someone who in that situation, they, they're loved by crowds of people and they're accustomed to being able to do these acts of power. And then they see someone who does something greater than them than they do. The human condition of pride is a natural tempter to want to obtain that greater power. When you're the man and someone comes in and they become the man, you want to be able to outdo them. You want to be the man again. And so he sees that the apostles have done, he sees that Philip has done these things. 
He's amazed by them. He sees the apostles do something like even drastically different, but an obvious, an obvious display of the Holy Spirit's power is coming through the actions of, the, of Peter and John. And so he sees this, and he wants it so badly, and he completely misses the point of the gospel in that because his desire was either for his own greatness to be seen as great or his desire was to be at the heart of what he perceived to be the, the greatest part of the gospel experience. So he either wanted to be recognized as great or he sees this and he thinks, this is, this is it. This is like the biggest part. This is the greatest part of the gospel experience and I want to be in the middle of it. So either way, the focus is on himself instead of on God's glory. And I think that is the problem. He's got, his heart is not surrendered to Jesus. His heart is still wrapped up in himself. Now, as we wrap this up and come to the end here, I want to discuss there are two ways that we can respond to the Holy Spirit's work as we witness him working either in our own lives or in a, the life of someone else or in a group of people. As we see the Spirit, and God frequently lets us see what he's doing through his Spirit, when we see that, we have two ways that we can respond to the Holy Spirit's work. Verses 24 and 25, let me read them real fast. Simon answered, so Peter's rebuked him, and he said to him, let me, I didn't read all of the, all of the rebuke. So let me read, let me back up a little bit and read the rebuke and then get into our last two verses. He said, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. So we're seeing there, uh, um, the Holy Spirit, as he rebukes him through Peter, says, your heart's not right. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And so, in verse 24, Simon replies... Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may, ha may come to me, may come upon me. And so, what not, the way not to respond to the gospel or to the work of the Spirit, the way not to respond to it is uh, being wrapped up in yourself. And here's the reason why I say, I think the end here tells us what was really going on in his heart, that there wasn't a real change in his heart. Because after Peter's rebuke, Simon, he, he did not ask for forgiveness. He did not repent. He did not, he did not have a broken heart over his, what he had just tried to do by purchasing the gift of God. But rather, he just asks Peter that none of the bad stuff that Peter just proclaimed would happen to him. And so he was afraid of the punishment. He wasn't brokenhearted over his sin. There's no repentance. There's just fear of punishment and judgment. Because he's wrapped up in, in himself. We talked in Sunday school, we're going through Daniel. We talked about um, after Nebuch the account of Nebuchadnezzar, there's the account of Belshazzar. And um, we talked about how he, Daniel tells him, you knew all the stuff that happened to Nebuchadnezzar, your father or grandfather, depending on um, the studies, but 
you, you, you knew all this stuff had happened to him. You knew that God stripped away, God gave him all of his power. He stripped away all of his power because of his hard heart, because of his prideful heart, because he thought he was God. And then after he suffered for a while with the mind of a beast and he was, and he was um, cast out of society, when he finally acknowledged that God was who he is, that God is the greatest, that God is the only God, when he finally acknowledged that, then God restored all of that. And, he, and Daniel says to Belshazzar, you knew all that, and yet with that knowledge and understanding, you still committed such a vile sin against me that I'm not only going to take your kingdom from you, I'm going to take your life from you. And so, and so being wrapped up in yourself thinking that you are the center of all of life. It's a dangerous thing. It's certainly not what you do in response to when the Holy Spirit brings rebuke in your life or whatever um, you might encounter with the Spirit. So we, in our personal lives and in our life as a church, we need to be people who, when the Spirit is working, if we see the Spirit working, we need to, we need to ask God, okay, so you've revealed this to me. How, how can I be a humble, faithful servant? What do I need to do to be a part of what you're doing? When the Spirit brings rebuke, if we are struggling with a sin or, or we've, you know, our, our theology is beginning to waver um, and somebody comes to us and they say, listen, I see this going on in, in your life. We need to be people who are not wrapped up in ourselves, but say, but say, you know, okay, I, I see I see what the Spirit is revealing to me. I'm going to repent of this, and I'm going to I'm going to turn my my heart back to God. So we need to be people who are not wrapped up in ourselves, but we need to be willing to uh, see the Spirit at work, whether it's in someone else in our own life, whether it appears to be a great thing or a negative thing. If it's a if it's a rebuking or conviction of our sin and we need to respond in a way that is humble and is focused on how we glorify God in this not in how do I save my own reputation or my my own self so that's how not to respond the way Simon did we don't want to be a church that follows his example but we here's how to respond you you do respond by being wrapped up in God's glory and we see this in the apostles in this last verse. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages in the Samaritans. So we have, a, we have a, an interesting turn of events here. If you remember from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56, th there is a village in Samaria that rejects Jesus. So this is Luke's gospel. Jesus is in his earthly ministry. There's a village in Samaria that rejects Jesus. And John and his brother James, you know, the sons of thunder, the, grr, how dare you reject him? God, do you, Jesus, do you want us to just call down fire and just consume them? Fire from heaven to just consume them? And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa. But there's a village in Samaria that rejected him, and John's mindset was, how dare you reject him? Let's just destroy them all. And now when the gospel is taken to Samaria, 
and the apostles decide to send a couple people to go investigate and just see what's going on. One of them is John, this guy who wanted to have all of the village just completely destroyed. And he has to go down and be a part of this and to see what the Holy Spirit is doing as God is affecting salvation in the lives of these people in Samaria. And he gets to be a witness of that. And so there's obviously been a change in John's heart, but I think God is probably continuing to work on John's heart and say, okay, come down and let me see, let me show you what I'm doing. Let me show you how much I love these people as well. So there's been this, this interesting turn of events here, but Peter and John are also learning a lesson about who's at the center of all of life. The gospel was not only for the Jews, was not only for the people who were in Jerusalem. Jesus told them, you are to preach, make disciples in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They stayed in Jerusalem for a long time until the beginning of chapter 8 when there's the persecution that scatters them. Philip has now taken the gospel to Samaria, this group of people that they did not like. And Peter and John go, and they learn that the gospel is not just for them. It's not just for the people that are on good terms with them. It's for anyone who will receive Jesus as Lord. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So as they head back, they learn this lesson. God is working and bringing salvation to Samaritans. As they head back to Jerusalem, it says, they were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So they learned God has brought salvation to them as well. And so on the way back, they stop in all the cities that they can on their way and they bring the good news. And they proclaim this good news as a message for them as well. And so we want to be a church that when the Spirit is at work, we listen, we learn, we let the Spirit change our mindset if we have to, and we wrap ourselves up in God's glory and say, whatever God is doing, I want to be a part of that, even if it's with people that we've maybe had a falling out with. So I want you to be thinking about, are, are there people that may, maybe you don't have the best relationship with that God might be calling you to share the gospel with them? Um, and I encourage you to be willing to let him change your heart and your mind if you need to, but let's be people who see the work of the Spirit and be a part of that for God's glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, this text as we see reconciliation take place between two groups of people who before hated each other, but you are a master reconciler and the gospel that we are proclaiming is a message of hope for all people. And so let us not be divided. Let us not have, let, not, let us not allow differences to keep us from sharing the gospel, but let us see the work of your spirit. Let us allow the spirit to teach us and change our 
hearts and our minds so that we are thinking like you. And then God, empower us by the Spirit to go boldly to share the gospel with all who need to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen.